Awesome. I mean, I love to hear those stories, uh, and we've got more of them coming. Uh, you guys have the best stories. You can't, you can't write that stuff. It's what God does in people's life. You just can't make it up. It's so real. Uh, but I want to welcome uh, you again. Again, our guests, it's good to have everybody here with us today and our regulars, those uh, who are part of our church family. And uh, it's so good to be together. And how about uh, short sleeves in the middle of February? Can we hear an amen? Got to applaud that for sure. Man, this is, this is incredible. I had a long sleeve on. I'm like, no, it's, it's hot enough up here. So uh, scale back a little bit. Guys, good to see you. Uh, we are in this study. We began last week uh, entitled I Am. And if you're here, we kind of talked about identity. We talked about where we find our identity, who we are, uh, the fact that a lot of times we find our identity in the things that we have or our job or, uh, you know, the people around us, that, that that's not a good identity. In fact, that's a, one that's doomed to fail and that we find our identity only in Christ. And that's kind of where we're going to pick up today uh, in talking about what that really means. Now, uh, to start with, though, I'm going to ask you a question. Uh, and it's really, really simple, but the answer is hard. Who are the two most important people who ever lived? The two most important people who ever lived. Well, you, you obviously got one. You got Jesus, right? Uh, he's number one, so let's put him right at the, at the first place. But who's the second most important person who ever lived? And I got a, a hint for you. It ain't you. Uh, so some of you are just got crushed, you know. Uh, it's not me, so that takes two people out of the billions in the world. You got a lot to choose from. Uh, let me just tell you who I think it is. I think it's Adam. I think Adam is the second most important person who ever lived. And we're going to look to these two guys today to kind of find our identity. See, throughout this study, we talked about the fact that uh, we find our, our identity in, uh, in, in the things about us, whether we're young or we're old, we're rich, we're poor, Republican, Democrat, beautiful, average, winner, loser, whatever you might say about yourself. You know, those are all things. Last week, we said those things explain us, but they do not define us. They explain us, but do not define us. I like that phrase a lot because we learn about people by their background, what's happened to them or their environment, but that is not who, really who we are. In reality, there are only two categories of people in this world, those who are in Adam and those who are in Christ. Those are the two most important people, I think, who ever lived, and they also represent the two different types of beings today. And I think that's how God sees all of humanity, either in Adam, in the flesh, or in Christ who is the second Adam, what the Bible calls him, and that is in spirit. Now, why is all this really important? It's really very important because it all determines where you're going to spend eternity. Your, your destiny is determined by whether you are in Adam or whether you are in Christ. So it's pretty significant. We are all born in Adam as a sinner, and hopefully we're going to be born again in Christ, who is the Savior. So we all began there in the flesh. We all began in Adam's flesh. He's kind of where, if we talk about teams, we're going to talk about teams a little bit today. If we talk about two teams, he's the head of the captain of that team, and that's where everybody starts. And most people, many people will stay in, in that side, stay in Adam. You know, and, and that's natural. Adam was the first man. He was the first one to ever sin. He and his wife Eve, he was the first family to ever deal with death, which, by the way, uh, is uh, brought a repercussion of punishment that means that we are now separated from God through our, our sin, but we're also separated from one another, and eventually we're going to be separated from this life. We're going to die physically, so it's physical as well as spiritual. But Jesus came along to correct all the mistakes that Adam made. The Bible says he is the second Adam, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it says this, this, 
For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead shall also, or also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Now there's a phrase in there we're going to kind of focus on today uh, that's really, it's really simple, but it's really powerful. It is the phrase, in Christ. I don't know if you picked that up or not, but that phrase is in the Bible over 215 times. And it is the, the phrase that is most often used to refer to a Christian. You are in Christ, and Christ is in us. Now, that seemed a little bit hard to understand. How does Christ come in us, and how do we get into Him? How's all that going to happen? I hope that you understand by the time we're through today. But basically, Jesus trades places with us. He trades places with us. All of our shame and all of our guilt and all the punishment that's laid upon us and condemnation all goes to Jesus and all of His forgiveness and love and grace and mercy, it all comes to us. So we trade. It's a great exchange. And He comes into us and we come into Him. Now, whenever we're in Christ, God sees us as He sees Christ. That's hard for us to imagine, isn't it? It's hard to us to understand that Christ could, that God could not see our sin but he sees us through the mirror of Christ, a reflection of Christ. You know, I kind of thought about this a little bit when uh, we have four kids. When our kids were little, they oftentimes would bring friends to our house. And, and we liked that. We, we wanted to know who their friends were and who they were being, hanging out with and everything. Uh, but sometimes when they brought their friends, we had the idea that this child could possibly cause problems somewhere else. And so we kept our eye on them, and we were cautious about who our kids hang out, hung out with. But what we tried to do also is we tried to give them the benefit of the doubt, you know. Uh, they brought a friend home. We tried to say, okay, this is because our child's friends with them, and we think our kids are good kids. Maybe this kid has some potential. So we would see them through the lens of our child. We would see them like, this must be a pretty good kid because our kid's hanging out with them, right? I'm sure you as a parent know what I'm talking about. But you were cautious about that, but you were hopeful. You would view them in that way. And, you know, we would take those kids sometime on vacation with us, or we would take those kids to, uh, um, you know, out to eat or, or, or different places. And some of those kids end up marrying our kids. So you really want to hope those are the kids that are good. But you give them the benefit of the doubt, you know. You kind of you see them in a different light. And I think that's just a small example of how God looks at us because we can't transform our kids, uh, other people, but Jesus can. Jesus transforms us, and even though we still have this sin nature, God sees us in a different light. He sees us as His child who is loved, forgiven, cleansed, and free. In fact, the Bible says that we become a new person in Christ, that we are born again in Christ, and that is your new identity. You have moved from death into life if you are in Christ. Christ. So what does it mean to be in Christ? What did Jesus say about that? Well, in John chapter 15, one of the more famous teachings of Jesus, uh, he says this, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Another, another version says, if you abide in me, if you remain in me. Now, there's an analogy here of, of grapevines, and, and I I know almost nothing about grapes, but I do know a lot about other types of crops. And one of the things I know about that is that the produce, the leaves, everything from that plant comes from the stem. It comes from the trunk of the plant. It doesn't just pop on there by itself. It has to get its nourishment from the root system and the trunk of the plant. That's what Jesus is saying. I am the vine, I am the trunk, and you are the branches. And if you do not remain in me, you have no life. 
But if you do remain in me, then you can do incredible things. In fact, Jesus said, by remaining in him, we could do even greater things than what he did, which is hard for us to even imagine, but that's what Jesus said. But away from him, we dry up like branches cut off from the vine or the tree. Now, unfortunately, a lot of us are living life like that. We think we're in the vine, think we're in Christ, but we're not connected. And we know it. And we don't have any life as a result of that. And we are drying up and wasting our lives. See, Jesus wants to come into your life, and he wants to make your life fruitful, a far more productive and, by the way, joyful life than you will ever have on your own. You know, a lot of us as believers, we try to find our identity in the things that are around us or the people that are around us. And here's what we believe. We believe that if I can just find the right person to marry, I'm going to be happy. Or we believe if if I can just, you know, if we can have kids, then, you know, we're going to be great. Everything will be wonderful. If I can find just the right job, then I'm going to be happy and fulfilled. If I can buy the next big item, the next big toy, then I'm going to be fulfilled. But you know what happens? It never works that way, does it? Never works that way. Last week we talked about idolatry, and, and let's give a name to this. This is identity idolatry. When you worship somebody or something other than Jesus Christ who deserves our worship and praise, something else begins to define your life, your value, and your, uh, and your, your, your dignity or destiny. Those are things that are idols in your life, even though they may be people, even good people. But here's what you also find out. They do not fulfill because people will let you down. People will abandon you. We know that, right? You may lose that job that you thought was your dream job that you were so good at. Things will not satisfy you. You're going to hit a crisis. You're going to hit a wall, health, money, relational, something at some point, and then you're in big trouble because that's who you were, and now you are no more. You all tell me that. I've had feedback the last couple of weeks, people saying, that's exactly where I am. That's what I'm dealing with right now. So guys, we got to find our identity in Christ. So how do we find ourselves and our identity in Christ? Well, the Bible does not leave us heartless or empty. We find truth there everywhere, but we're going to focus for a few weeks on one book of the Bible, the book of Ephesians. Here's what I'm going to challenge you to do. I'm going to challenge you to read the book of Ephesians at least once a week. Now, I'm trying to read it four or five times a week, and you're going, oh, you know, we can't read a whole book of the Bible at one time. Yes, you can. You know, it's like six chapters. You can read it in about a half an hour or so, unless you're just a really, really slow reader. You can do that. So I want to encourage you to read the book of Ephesians at least once a week. And I want you to see a phrase you're going to see there really often. Here's the phrase. It is in Christ. At least a dozen times, many of them, several in the first chapter. But you're going to read that book, and you're going to discover more about who you ought to be. Hopefully, you'll come and hear the messages. We'll kind of break it down verse by verse throughout this study. And then we're going to understand what Paul was saying in the book of Ephesians to the people of the city of Ephesus, a church he loved, had planted, spent about two years there teaching and ministering to them. And, uh, and now he's writing a letter to them. They might say, well, why did he write the letter to them? Well, first of all, we're grateful that he did because we've got a copy today thousands of years later that we can read and know what he wrote. But, but why did he do it? Because he was in prison at the moment. He couldn't go to them personally. And so he's writing a letter to them to explain who they are. And you know, keep in mind, last week we said that sometimes our conditions or our situation can define us. So would Paul say, you know, I'm stuck here in jail. It really stinks, but I'm a prisoner right now. Paul doesn't say that. His situation did not define him, even as a prisoner. In fact, the only prisoner he saw himself as was a prisoner of Christ. 
And he knew he was doing ministry in jail, so he's writing a letter here, and we have it today. So uh, he knows how to identify himself where God's put him, and he tells us where we are as well. We're going to spend several weeks talking about this book, and we're going to be looking at several different testimonies of our church family, talking about what it means to them to be in Christ. So today, we're going to do kind of an overview. And I don't do this a lot, uh, to give you a bunch of lists of things, but, but today we're going to have nine things that it means to be in Christ. And you're going, oh, nine things? What time is it already, you know? Um, it's okay, I've got them in the right amount of time, all right? Nine things about what it means to be in Christ. And we're going to jump right in the first book, uh, first chapter, the first couple of verses, Ephesians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's the first thing that we find. In Christ, you can be faithful. In Christ, you can be faithful. Let me ask you this. How many of you ever have trouble being faithful? Maybe I'm the only one that can be honest and admit it, right? But sometimes we have a hard time being a little bit faithful, don't we? How many of you ever live contrary to how you believe? You believe one thing, but you do the opposite. Have you ever... Here's an old word. Have you ever backslid at some point in your life? Now, what is backslide? Some of you are like, backslid? That's not even a word, is it? You know, but what does it mean to backslide? Well, you used to be in your walk with Jesus, you hear, and then all of a sudden you just quit trying and you started sinking back, backsliding, sliding down. That's what backsliding is, all right, for some of you young folk. Uh, have you ever backslid in your life? Have you ever walked away from God at some point in your life? Have you ever not gone to church? for a while. Do you not know where your Bible is today? You know, those are all symptoms that if you got those, then maybe you're not as faithful as you ought to be. But you know, it's hard, isn't it? I feel sometimes like the Apostle Paul who said, the things I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, those are the things I find myself doing. Sometimes the pressure of it, you know, seems to be a little overwhelming, and sometimes we just get busy and we let it all kind of slide to the back burner. Either way, we all go through times in our life where we are not as faithful as we should be. So how do we become more faithful? Well, you're going, well, you know, I'm going to make a list when I get home about what I should do. Number one, I'm going to get up a half an hour earlier every morning and read my Bible like I ought to be doing anyway, all right? And number two, you know, we're going to do Bible devotions with our family at night, you know, for an hour. No, two hours. We're going to do it two hours every night. You know, and you start making a list of all the things you're going to do. Well, here's the problem with that is that it's too easy to reach over and slap the alarm, the snooze, and not get up in the morning after a morning or two. See, I've I've done that, like you guys have as well. And it's too easy to get busy with everything else because what we're trying to do is our own power. Now, those are all good practices. I'm not, we ought to be doing all those things, obviously. But here's the thing, it's only in Christ that we can be faithful. We have to get into Him more, and then it becomes easier or possible to do those things. And then when we fall, Christ steps in and he picks us up and carries us and he helps us to be more faithful. Secondly, in Christ, you get blessed. You get blessed. Uh, Verse 3, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Here we go. In Christ, we are blessed in different ways. We talked last week about the importance of knowing how blessed that we are. And I think that once we realize where our blessings come from, then we realize okay, I'm very blessed. I am blessed financially. You may be the poorest person in this room, but you're one of the richest people in the world. I'll tell you that. You are blessed financially. 
You are blessed relationally if you have people around you who care. If you got up this morning and came in here on your own power or you even got here, you are blessed physically. You are blessed emotionally if you have, hopefully we have our right minds about us today, but you're, you're blessed emotionally and you're always blessed spiritually through Jesus Christ. Why? Because we deserve hell and we get heaven in Christ. That's an incredible blessing. So we should never get complacent but we should always recognize how blessed that we are. And remember that in all the billions of people in the world, you and I as Christians are in Christ. And many of them have never even heard of Jesus. Thirdly, I love this one, in Christ you were chosen. You were chosen for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. You know how good it feels to be chosen? Have you ever been chosen for something? Or have you ever been not chosen for something? How bad that feels, right? You know, I remember when I was kids, uh, we were kids, and I don't even know if they do recess anymore, uh, but we'd run out, out outside at recess, and all the kids would stand in a group, you know the drill, and the two best players of whatever sport, usually the same people, no matter the sport, they would pop up, they were the captains, and they would choose teams, right? Choose a team. So y'all take him, I'll take him, I'll take him. And some of you all were lucky to be one of the first ones to be chosen. You know how it feels, all right? You guys can just close your ears because the rest of us are going to whine a little bit now, all right? Because the rest of us were in that pot of people that didn't get chosen up front. And, and we were hoping that somebody would choose us along the way before we got to be the last two people there. And the other person who was a real loser got chosen before we did, and we knew our place, right? You know what it's like not to be chosen, but maybe you know how to be chosen. Today, we love to be chosen, wouldn't we? I asked for a service. Uh, you know, on the receipts that you get now in the, like the grocery store and different places, they have a, have a thing on there, that, a website if you go to, and if you give them information, feedback, you're eligible to win $1,000. I just want to know, has anybody in this room ever won $1,000 through that? Anybody? Nobody. They lie to us. They don't do that. They don't do that. Nobody's chosen me ever to win that kind of money, all right? I'll tell you, one time I was chosen, I can think about. When I was a kid back in Taylorsville, uh, every year about... Uh, uh, Christmas time. Kevin, you remember this. About Christmas time, we would go and we would buy uh, things at the store and we'd get a little ticket with our name on it. And uh, they would take our name and we'd get the stub to keep. And every night or a weekend or whatever it was, they would go and they would draw. They would put all this big basket in the back of a big truck and everybody would gather around. And if uh, they drew your name out and you were there, you got a gift certificate. One night I was standing there and they called out Randy Nation. I mean, it was like my world had suddenly, I'd been chosen. I mean, it was random. They didn't choose me personally, but they chose my name out. I had a $20 gift certificate, which in 1970 was probably worth 100 bucks, you know, whatever, uh, today. But I, I kept it local. I ran down to Western Auto and bought a BB gun, Daisy BB gun. I remember that. And that's been at least 25 years ago since that happened, you know, um, a little more probably. But that wasn't even on purpose. They didn't choose me. They just randomly picked me out. But it really felt good, right? We love to be chosen. You know what? God chose us. God chose you individually, just like you are. It's like a, a guy who walks into an orphanage and says, hey, I'll take, I'll take that one right there. It's not the most attractive, the strongest, the most intelligent. I just want that. I choose that one. Now, let me tell you this. There's a lot of disagreement about this whole idea of being chosen and predestination. We're going to talk about that in this study. But here's my theory. 
I think God chooses everybody to be saved. That's what I believe. I don't think he's the parent that walks in and says, I'll take that one. I think he says, I'll just take them all. I want them all. That's who I want. Now, why do I believe that? Well, 2 Peter chapter 3 says, God is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. I don't have a problem believing that God chooses people to be saved. I struggle believing that God chooses people to be lost. And while I know that not everybody is going to be saved or respond to Christ, I know that. And one day I'll get to heaven and God say, you were dead wrong on that one. I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll take that. But here's the thing. I don't want to go through life believing there are some people who are hopeless because I believe everybody has hope. I want to go through life believing, man, that person needs to know Jesus. I'm going to tell them. I don't want to give up on them because I'm thinking because they have no interest right now, they might not have any interest down the road. I'm going to be optimistic and believe that the best for everybody. So here's what I'm going to tell you. If you're here today and you're open to Jesus, I think you are chosen. You are chosen by God. Fourthly, in Christ, you are forgiven. You're forgiven. All of us sin and fall short of God's expectations. But we are called to be holy and blameless. But guys, we can't do that on our own. We have to depend upon His constant forgiveness. But remember last week we said that our sin, nothing about us, our past, does not have to be our identity, does not define us. See, Satan loves to lie to us and say, if you do this, you'll be happy. And then as soon as we do it, we find out we're not, and he laughs at us. But he also kind of keeps us in bondage by saying, okay, now this is who you are. Because you did this, you're hopeless. Nobody loves you. You'll never get out of this hole. This is who you are. But our sin does not define us or identify us. Here's what it says in verse 7 in him. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. And he says, we have been redeemed. We've been bought, paid for, and forgiven. That happened on the cross where Jesus took our punishment for us, and now we are free. Fifth, in Christ you can know the will of God. You can know the will of God. He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Christ. Let me ask you this. Have you ever been confused about the will of God? Have you ever wondered what God wanted you to do at this particular point in life or whatever it might be? And that's really hard, sometimes because it's not immediately obvious to us. You know, sometimes I can't remember what I did yesterday, but, but I can remember what I did where I was 20 years ago about this time of the year. 20 years ago, uh, we were nearing the end of a 10-year ministry. We knew that was happening. Uh, it was the signs were all around us. We knew that God was, was moving us. We just didn't know where. And so we were in that search process. And, you know, some of you guys are looking for jobs. You know how that is. And, you know, I, I think ministry is, is a job, but it's a lot more than that. It's a calling. And so not only are you looking for a job, you're looking for where you're called to. That's a hard decision to make, figure out. But we were looking and searching, and we'd applied a couple places in this one church that I served as a youth minister. They, they said, Randy, just come be our minister. You know, and that was flattering because I don't have to interview, just come be our minister. We want you to come. But, you know, there was something in, in me that said, I just, I just don't know. I don't know if it's what God wants or not. I don't feel God saying yes. And, you know, I make plenty of mistakes, and I'm not always sensitive to what God says. But that day, I just knew God wasn't calling. And the several, a couple, few weeks went by. And, and I wasn't sure what to tell them. See, I was talking to this other church in a little obscure town called Versailles, uh, Kentucky. And, and I was like, I, I don't know what God has in mind. And then one day I got a call from that church in Versailles. And they said, uh, hey, we, we'd like to talk to you. And suddenly it got really clear what God had in mind. So in May of this year, uh, we will complete 20 years of ministry here, which is incredible. I'm 
so grateful that God, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to clap for you. I'm going to clap because I love what God has done. I believe God's will, you know. But that isn't, it isn't always, it, sometimes it takes a while to figure that out. And God doesn't write his will in the clouds always. But if you will wait and pray, God will reveal it. But here's the thing. Sometimes we ask all these questions. We say, God, what do you want me to do? God, where do you want me to go? Why do you want me to do that? Well, you know, all these, all these questions, and we're just trying to figure out specifically what God wants. But, you know, those are all the wrong questions because here's the right question. God, how, in this situation that I'm in, how should I live in Christ? How should I live in Christ? While I'm waiting, while you're going to show me, how should I live? Now, the reality is, uh, is that God is going to take us where we are at the moment. He had us planned for us. Let's just say that if you're so rich right now that you don't know what to do with all of your money, you live faithful right now and God will show you, all right? But on the other hand, if you're so poor right now and you're struggling and you don't know how you're going to pay your bills, you be faithful right now. If you are single right now and you're wondering, God, who are you going to bring somebody in my life and when? See, those are all the wrong questions. You say, God, how do I live right now as a single person? If you're married right now and you're thinking the opposite, God, how do I get out of this mess? You know, what are we going to do? The question is, how do I live faithful right now with God? If, if you don't have any kids because you're dealing with infertility, then not the question is desperate as God, you know, when and, and if and, and how. But God, what do I do? How do I live faithfully? And if you've got kids that are driving you nuts, ask for God's help right now in raising those kids. God, right now, how do I faithfully live my life in Christ? And he will reveal that to us. We can know the will of God. Six, in Christ you're reconciled. You are reconciled. In verse 10, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. The New American Standard says, in Christ. See, sin separates us from God and from one another. But in Christ, we are reconciled and brought near to God. And that means also that we're able then to reconcile with one another as well. It doesn't mean we'll never feel distant from God or we'll never struggle with God, but it does mean that we positionally are reconciled with Him and that we can and should have peace with God and man, and we do this in Christ. Seventh, in Christ you have an inheritance. Man, it's going to be fun when we talk about inheritance, isn't it? Here's what it says in verse 11. In Him we were also chosen. The New American Standard says we have obtained an inheritance. See, when you're in Christ, your Father who loves you has added you to His family. Remember the guy went to the orphanage and he just took everybody home with him? He didn't put them to work as slaves. He made them children and wrote them into the will. So you're going to inherit it all. You get some of it now. It's great living in community, in the, the family of God, in the kingdom of God, but the real treasure is down the road. It's in heaven. And we talked a few weeks about heaven where a perfect existence, no suffering, pain, or, or sadness, only eternal joy and happiness, peace, and living in harmony with God and man and rich for eternity. Eighth, in Christ you have hope. In Christ you have hope. In verse 12, who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. See, guys, our hope is in Christ. It is not in things or people. Our hope is not in our governor or our president. It's not in our wealth, our knowledge, our skill, our degree, our success, our family, or anything else. But it's in Christ Jesus. And apart from him, there is no hope. 
So if you've been putting your hope in things or somebody and they haven't let you down yet, it's not if, it's when, because the bottom will drop out. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. That's where our hope is. And then lastly, in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. Now, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit here in a few weeks. In verse 13, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in Him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Guys, the way that you know your identity in Christ is through the presence, the power, and the person of the Holy Spirit. And in fact, you know, He is the means by which we even come into Christ and Christ comes into us. He is the power and energy that we need to stay in Christ. He is our conscience, our guide, our counselor. He is everything. But you know, sadly, many of us who are in Christ, we oftentimes forget the Holy Spirit is in us. And so we kind of separate ourselves. We live functional lives absent from His presence. And because of that, we're pretty much powerless. The Bible warns us about grieving or quenching the Holy Spirit in our lives. In fact, there was a book written a few years ago called The Forgotten God, and he really is. He is the forgotten God. The Holy Spirit's is seen as some outward force of some kind, but he, he's not a force. He is a person. He loves us with the love of God, and he wants the best for us. In fact, it is only through the leading of the Holy Spirit that we're even able to accept who Christ is and be convicted of our sins to come into Christ and have Christ in us. And you know, the fact that we are both body and spirit, and that spirit side of us is the part that connects with God, the spirit. That is how the connection is. And that should be so much a part of our lives, the Holy Spirit should be, that it overpowers any other characteristics. So when someone says, who are you? You should say, well, I'm in Christ. And then you get a chance to explain what that means. That'll blow them away. Now, before we close, though, let me just say this. How do we come into Christ? How, how do we come into Christ? Well, we're going to learn a lot about what it means to be there, but, but it's very simple to come into Him, and that is that we have to make a conscious decision to surrender our lives to Christ. We have to ask Him to come into our heart. We have to repent of our sin, our past, clean out some garbage, and open our life up, give Him room to work and live, and then confess that He is the Christ, the Son of God, and then we are baptized with Him as a sign of our death to self and the beginning of a new life in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. We come into Christ. And throughout this study, my prayer is that if you have not come into Christ, you will do just that. I would love to have a conversation with you about your walk and your relationship with Him. And you can do that by contacting me, email or, or whatever, or jotting it on one of our connection cards. I'd love to have that conversation. That is the most important thing that you will ever need to know. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come today, and uh, God, we love you, and we thank you so much for Jesus. God, this whole idea of being in Christ is uh, a little overwhelming for us because we know that you are spirit. We know that you have a, a Holy Spirit who, who longs to be in us. And God, we want to know more, and, and I pray that that desire would drive us to read your word and spend time with you and, and to come and, and talk about what it means to be uh, a follower of Christ. God, my prayer is for salvation for all of us. I believe, God, you've chosen us to be your children. My hope is that everyone in this room will accept that, that invitation and truly be in Christ. Lord, we love you, we worship you, and we ask all these things in Christ's holy name. Amen.